Good morning, it is Matt Weaver here with uh, BibleTruthProject.com. Welcome to this. It is early in the morning where I'm at and decided to do a quick update. I haven't done one in a few days, so I want to just update you and share with you some thoughts that I've been having the last while. Uh, first of all, I'm just going to discuss a little bit of research I've been, been doing and then I'll talk about something uh, Phil the Lord has been showing me. Anyway, so greetings and blessings to you. So first of all, uh, several books I've been reading, uh, Raymond uh, Cap E, I remember, I think that's how it is, Raymond E. Cap or Raymond Cap E, uh, is a gentleman who was an archaeologist back, um, I think he passed away either in the 90s or early 2000s, but he was a man who was, he was an archaeologist, he was a PhD who did a lot of research into the movements of the Lost Tribes, and he came up with a theory that the Lost Tribes have moved over. So I'm reading some of his material. I don't know how solid it is yet, but that which I have read, it seems to be somewhat solid. Now, he is a proponent of what they call British Israelism, and uh, that means that Britain or the United States is a uh, Manasseh or Ephraim uh, country. Now, that may be yes or no, but here's an interesting fact. Jonathan Kahn, who is a somewhat more uh, recognizable name in the world of Christianity today, just released a book called The Paradigm. The Paradigm is about the blueprint that God is using, obviously, for America right now with our leadership and the wrestle and the struggling that we have in the, the White House with, with uh, Trump and with, with what happened with Hillary and Bill. And anyway, he goes into quite a bit of history with that whole scenario. And I guess it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating stuff. And he, it supposedly lines up directly with what's going on and everything. Uh, interesting. I, I don't know. I've not read the book yet completely. Um, that's, but, that's, but anyway, so it... Jonathan recognizes that United States is in a special position. He recognizes that there are some implications for what's happening in the U.S. God is doing something unique with the U.S. Is that because we do have a connection somehow that we are perhaps a Abrahamic nation? God did promise Abraham many nations, plural. Is that because we are an Abrahamic nation? That's a question. That is that's something to think about. Anyway, the other one I'm looking at is uh, a gentleman called Norman Willis, who is a uh, the leader and founder, I believe, founder of of the modern uh, Nazarene Israel movement. I don't believe it's a huge movement, but but there's some people who who feel that God has called them back to to keep Torah to keep. Uh, to basically revive the beliefs and practices of Nazarene Israelites, which were a legitimate group of believers in the first century. They, uh, they dwelt in the land. We know the group called Nazarites. Uh, even in the Bible, it mentions the Nazarites. And the Nazarites were, uh, how would you say it? They, they were believers in Yeshua. They were believers in Jesus. And they did practice... Uh, Judaism and were the last remnants of, I, I guess you would compare them to modern day Messianic Jews, very much similar. The difference is in like Norman, 
is he's not Jewish. He's uh, he's Gentile and he wants to, but he believes he's one of the lost tribes type of people and he's, he's keeping it because God has called him to keep it, etc. There's a long story with it. It's not just that he randomly decided to keep this stuff. He felt very deliberately God wanted him to. So anyway, that's, that's up, to, you know, that's to each his own. If the Lord has asked him to do that, that's fine. For me, what he is, some of his research also includes um, different aspects of what God is doing. And I think it's interesting. I, I don't agree with everything he says. I just, I don't agree with all his conclusions per se, but, but he does have a heart after God and is wanting to do what's right. And I, I, I can respect that uh, greatly. So there are several of the reads that have been going on. One of the thoughts that I had in the last week is I, I was again looking at some Facebook posts and some things that people have been writing. And I saw uh, several people write on the issue of, of grace and law. It seems to be just kind of like the hot topic right now. Uh, people, you know, talking with uh, tags, legalism, um, law, grace, etc. You know, it just just it just seems to me prevalent, uh, prevalent, prevalent. I can't say the word. And so, with, with that whole subject, I was looking into. I was reading the Bible. I was looking at what God is saying. And I was thinking about this whole scenario. And I'm the type of guy that's very analytical. I look at a process. I look at a reason. And I want to understand what, what is going on. What's the end game? And that's part of the reason I've been looking into some of the subjects I have. Because it's kind of like, what is the end game? What is God ultimately after? What is his purpose ultimately of going through the trouble, if you will, of creating the world, creating mankind, mankind, you know, falling. Now he comes to save mankind. What's the purpose? He could have just wiped the slate clean, started over. But what is the purpose with carrying through? What does he want in the end? And that's the question I guess I asked myself. What is this ultimate purpose? What is this reason? And when I really think about uh, what's going on, you know, you have you have Abraham being called by God. And God is looking, or I should say, Abraham is looking for a city that is built by God, but it's not on earth. And, but, but look where all he goes. He travels. Now, I have friends um, who have an alternate theory about where he's going. It's really powerful, and it's it's not just a entry level explanation. This is years, decades, and decades of research, and and not just uh, third party. Okay, this is academic level research going into uh, this understanding and what we're seeing is a different picture than what 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 we've been taught i don't know that what we've been taught has been wrong necessarily in some cases maybe in some cases i don't know we'll have to see but i'm excited to get you that information uh soon but but abraham had a tremendous journey okay whether he went north or south, he left Ur, went to a place called Haran. Is that the modern-day Haran? That is a good question. But he went to a place called Haran. And then from there, he went to Canaan. And all this time, all this trouble was for one purpose. He was pursuing God. He was walking and doing, uh, walking the steps and doing the things that God had asked him. And he had to wait 
90 plus years until the promise that God had gave him came to pass and that he had a son called Isaac. Long story. Imagine waiting 90 years to receive a promise God gave you when you were fairly young. You left all behind and you pursued this and pursued it and pursued it and you didn't waver at that promise and the process of dealing that God had to do with your life in order for you to inherit that promise. What a what an amazing story. But that's Abraham. And he is the father of all those who believe, is what the Bible says. So believers in the God of Abraham, he's the father of all those who believe. So all those who pursue and follow and walk the life of faith and walk the path that God has set before each and every one of us, we are walking in the footsteps of Abraham. This idea of belief and everything is is that's that's Abraham that's what he did it's faith anyway so now we move on from Abraham etc I, I just began thinking what's this all about so now Abraham became a tribe became a people and I had discussed this in a previous episode you know he is a people group and a nation divided separated a holy nation which means a separated nation into God he is calling them to himself and in Sinai he makes a covenant he makes a covenant with uh, Abraham's people. Now, when he does this, he there's a, it's a conditional covenant, and the whole assembly agrees to to the covenant, and it's a it's a contractual covenant. Okay, that's what the law was. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't really hear the word law that much. Okay, it is law by definition. Okay, it's God's. But ultimately, the word is more, uh, more accurately translated instruction. Uh, Torah, which is referencing the five books of Moses, doesn't necessarily mean law. It actually means more the instruction. And that's kind of a significant difference. In the New Testament, the word law is used a lot, which is fine. But what people cl- uh, latch on to is the idea of law. And it's this oppressive, hard to follow cruel, uh, strict disciplinarian type of, you know, stronghold oppression of law. When really it was instruction. It was instruction. It was instruction how to live. It was instruction how to be in relationship with God. It was instruction uh, the conditions God had if you were going to be in relationship. I mean, the whole purpose of God was to tabernacle with men. He wanted to dwell among us. He wanted to be our God, and he, want, he wanted us to be his people. And so that's that was the end game. But ultimately, it was about marriage. God wanted a bride. Strangely enough, that theme was very prevalent in the Old Testament. God refers to it as the honeymoon period when he was with Israel at Sinai. And uh, later in Jeremiah, it says that he gave Israel a bill of divorcement because they broke the covenant. So it implies that there was a marriage. All right. So God married Israel. So the covenant was that of a marriage covenant. And uh, in, in Jeremiah, it then also says God did give him a bill of divorcement. So is it, is that what it is? Well, okay. So let's look at this law. excuse me, Sinai covenant was a contractual marriage covenant, but the law was the instruction. Okay. It was the agreement, but it was the instruction. It was the instruction of how to 
uh, how to live this life of marriage, if you will, to God. Today we would call it a personal relationship. How to have a personal relationship with God. And uh, that was the instruction. So it, it's not this big, grisly, mean thing. But here's, here's what the new, this is what Paul brings out so much in his writings is that the problem was that the law, I mean, it was holy, it was pure, but it wasn't perfect in the sense that it did not address the fundamental flaw of mankind. And the fundamental flaw of mankind is our evil nature and hearts. See, it didn't matter. It didn't matter how nice you made everything look. So it didn't matter how many good works we did. Our hearts were evil. That's ultimately what God saw. He saw our hearts for evil. But here's here's even the greater thing. So when you look at the law, okay, or the instruction, as I pointed out previously. So if we look at the instruction, what is the instruction? The instruction is a type of the Holy Spirit. Okay, because the Holy Spirit is the instructor. If we, if we recognize Jesus said he will send us the comforter and he will lead you into all truth. So he is a teacher or an instructor. Okay, so the spirit of the law, let's say this, God's spirit, was it pre present in the Old Testament? Yes, it was. Absolutely. Was it present at Sinai? Of course it was. It's one with God. It's the same thing. So God was there. His spirit was there. So the spirit of the law is the Holy Spirit. The problem is, from our side of it, we didn't have the grace to walk in it. Now, what does that mean? Well, see, here's the, here's the deal. Grace is not that complicated of a word. There's been a huge divide over what it means. To one group, it means divine uh, enablement to the other one it means unmerited favor well quite frankly it it means both of those but ultimately means god's provision it's god's full provision it's nothing we merit okay but it's ultimately his favor to mankind he gave us a provision and what is that provision well in jeremiah again he says i will make a new covenant with the house of israel not uh, it's not a covenant after well, let me just look it up here, and then we can actually look at it. Okay, here it is, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith, uh, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they break. I, I want to ultimately point back. I know I have in other episodes pointed to this, but this is, this is key. Okay. This kind of undermines a lot of the argument that the old law is the answer. A lot of messianics want to say the Torah is it. The new covenant is just the renewed covenant, you know, and we are to keep the Torah and everything in the commandments. Well, in a sense, yes, but, but follow my reasoning. According to Jeremiah, it's not the same type of covenant. Okay. It's not according to the covenant that was made before. So it's not the same type of covenant. But he goes on to say what it will be. And this is the covenant. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their inward parts. And in their heart will I write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now there goes on and there's more conditions to the covenant. There's going to be uh, 
there's going to be a set time. I don't believe we're walking in the fullness of it because we don't experience the complete freedom uh, that is said here. But we do walk in the portion, the portion that was poured out and was proclaimed to the world in, in Yeshua as he came as the prophet prophesying this covenant uh, and, and being the mediator of this covenant. And so this is the important part. And I, 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 and I say this and it's important because here's the thing. Now he, he was just before this referencing that he had divorced Israel. Um, but this is what he is also goes on to say, Jeremiah 31, 36. But, but if these ordinances depart from me, he's talking about, uh, the moon and stars, the light by night, etc. All that stuff. Um, if that stuff starts, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me. Thus saith Jehovah, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done. But behold, the days come. Uh, that the city shall be built to God from the tower of Hanuel into the gate corner, etc. He's talking about this coming coming time. But anyway, back back to it. So God is going to make, you know, it's prophesied he's going to make a new covenant unto the house of Israel and Judah. But it's not according to the covenant which he made with his father. So it's not the same covenant. It's different. Now, his law remains the same because it's inspired, inspired by the Spirit, but he builds on what the essence of the law is. Jesus, when he was here, he, he taught us what the essence of the law is. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Well, everyone recognizes the first one. That's the Shema, okay? In the Old Testament, or in the time of Jesus, I should say, and they would have recognized that as the Shema. But he also builds on it and say, you got to love your neighbors yourself. Those On those two hang all the law and the prophets. So God's intention with the law was that man learns to love each other and to love God. Bottom line. Well, it's not in the letter. See, the letter kills. And Paul says this, the letter kills, but the, but but Christ gives life. Let me just look that verse up. You can look at it for yourself. Just type it in here. Second uh, Corinthians, Corinthians or Colossians, yeah, Corinthians three six, who also made us significant as, or sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. So what is this referencing? Well, when you have the law which is a spiritual thing, okay? But if, you, if it's by the letter and we don't have the grace to walk in it, it kills. What does that mean? Well, we fulfill, we fulfill it if we walk in the Spirit, okay? We do not fulfill the lusts of our flesh if we walk in the Spirit. That's another verse Paul is bringing out. And, just, and that is really the essence of Romans 8. So if you look at Romans 8, I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but but this is really what it's about. There is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus or Yeshua Mashiach. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, 
this is ultimately the question. This is where this is what Paul is saying. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Okay, so our natural flesh, okay, our evil heart, let's put it that way. That is why the law was weak uh, for us. The law itself was not the problem. It was us, our flesh. But, so what God did to deal with that issue, and this is what the new covenant is all about. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, so basically he showed us the pattern. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he came as a man who could have sinned. Didn't say he did sin, but who could have. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. What purpose? For sin. He wanted to deal with sin. Now, what is sin? Sin is not sins. Okay? Sin is this fallen state of mankind. It is this evil heart. That is what sin is. And he came to deal with sin. This old nature. This old man. When Adam sinned, we carry that sin with us for generations. When I am born, the sins of my fathers in their DNA are in me. The tendencies that I have come from my fathers. That's how God designed it. That's why when Adam sinned, sin came into the world. Because God set it up that the blessings and the curses would go generations. And that's done through DNA. So there's blessings that we carry uh, that when we walk in them, we transmit to our children. Vice versa, the curses we transmit to our children, the sins. And so we have to be very careful that we walk in blessing and we break every curse. That's what Jesus came to do. Uh, and that's what he did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So he condemned, I guess we could look at that word. Uh, that means to judge or to sentence. Basically, he condemned it. It's, it's dealt with. Let's, put, let's just say it that way. Uh, let me get back to my version I was using here. Romans 8, 5, For they who are according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh, but they who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So he's referring to the divide. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. So the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Okay, so this is the righteousness. This is what was, this is what the law was all about. Okay, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. He's not saying the law was bad. The law was good. The problem was our hearts. And so God had to change our hearts. The new covenant is about that. So now, this is what 8.4 is saying, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but to the spirit. So what is this grace? What is this divine enablement that God does? Well, first of all, in us as believer, the process is... Different people face it different ways. But but the first thing I notice is that there's this there's this death that must be, the recognition that we are dead in Christ at the work of the cross. So the work of the cross must be established. I'm not going to get into that in this uh, this episode. But that must be established in our life. This this mortifying the deeds of the body. This this okay, this is not becoming a monk and trying to grunt down and, and kill this flesh. No, it's surrender. It's surrender of my way. It's surrender of the sin nature. That is how we put it to death. We surrender it. 
It's no longer about my way. It's about his way. When we lay that down, okay, now there's conditions. God will then fill us with his Holy Spirit. Uh, let me just say it this way. Okay, there's, a, there's maybe an easier way to explain it. So Jesus said, you must be born again. He also said, you must be born of water and spirit. The first reference was, you must be born again to see the kingdom. The second was, you must be born of water and spirit to enter it. So what happens is, at, oftentimes at this surrender moment, okay, is, is a born again time. This is the time we lay it down. We lay our sins. The weight of all that guilt and shame and sin is lifted. We go through a process. Most people go through a process. Let me just put it this way. When God is dealing with our old nature and the final death blow must come, I believe this is the process of faith. This is the process that he's referring to in the inward parts and the heart. So it's, it's processing the inward parts and the heart. He's dealing with the insides of us, not the outside. So when he's finished dealing with the inside, then the covenant is firmly established but okay so born of born of born again so this is putting an end to that who i am or who my identity was before so i was born uh son of my father okay my identity was my father's fathers etc i carry their name i carry their dna etc but when i was born again I was reborn. I had a new birth experience. And what happened is all of a sudden, those fathers, I don't carry uh, that identity anymore. Now, I still have baggage. Okay, most people do. That's just the way it works. But that's what the next steps are all about. But anyway, but that's the essence of what Jesus is saying. And so when he told Nicodemus this, you know, don't marvel at it. This is This is what needs to be done. So... You must be born again to see the kingdom. So when, we, when we're born again, all of a sudden we see the truths of the kingdom. But it isn't working in our lives yet. And this is exactly how I experienced in my life. The next steps that God has ordained for us as a believer to, to change the inward parts is for baptism. It's water. Now, water represents three things. It represents death, life, and... Oh, I was thinking of it the other day, and I can't remember. It just uh, just left my mind. But basically, water is, when we drink it, it gives us life. If we're in it too long, it gives us death. Oh, and it cleanses. There's the three things that water does in everyday life. It's what we use it for. We use it to drink. If we were in it too long, it would kill us. And it cleanses. So when we recognize what water does in our life okay uh we need to be born of water so there's death life and cleansing that takes place in the water and that is a that is done through baptism when we are baptized there is an identification with christ's death resurrection uh and the cleansing of sin so that's basically what the cleanse, that's, I guess, of all the years that I've looked into it, that's what I could come up with. It felt the Lord showed me what that was. Now, the next step is the spirit. We must be born of the spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means this old uh, nature has now been regenerated. We are now a new man. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. So in Christ's 
all this has been changed. Now, there is a process to this. It's not just instantaneous. Paul doesn't say that it's all just instantaneous. Some people want to hold to the view that when we're born again and stuff, all the old ties are cut off. Well, I know from working with some people, I haven't done a lot of it, but I know my father has, but I've also worked with some people who had things hanging in their life, generational curses, things like that, that have not been cut off. So that it's a process, but we are regenerated. It is through his work. So when these issues come up, yes, it is all done. Yea and amen. It's whether we recognize it. And often the problem is we don't recognize it. So we we need to confess with our, uh, confess with our mouth and then the freedom will come. Whether it's uh, generational issues or whatever, we need to confess those things with our mouths and say, Lord, free me. This You paid this. You became a curse for me so that I could be free. And then you will be free because that is what he did. Now, what the law did, again, the law itself was not the problem. The law was actually a type of shadow of the spirit because it was the instruction. So don't don't be against the law and don't make comments against the law. Okay, the principle of law was not the issue. We don't want to live in a lawless society. God does not want to have lawless people. In fact, it goes. he goes on to say that when he says, I don't know you, ye workers of King James says iniquity. Uh, but that word is actually re- referencing lawless people. So there are people who are going to go to heaven, according to that, stand before God and say, hey, we need all these things in your name and everything. He said, I never knew you, ye lawless people. So let's not boast against the law because God is still looking for righteousness. Now, the, the it's not done in the outward Sinai law, okay? But it's done through the Spirit, who was the essence of the law. So I hope this isn't too confusing. It is a little confusing, I have to admit. It is a little bit. But once you get a hold of the truth, it will change your life. Again, Romans 8 is the perfect example. So let's now just, just keep going with the chapter, I guess. It'll be perfect to explain it probably better than I can. For they who are according to the flesh, or the natural mind, or who, who we have been, okay, mind the things of the flesh. So it we, if we are of the flesh, that's what we worry about. That's It's who we are. But they according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, again, I want to reference just back real quickly, and then, then I'll leave that point. I'm, I want to make sure it's clear. That at Sinai, the spirit of the law was beautiful. People saw it. They, it was awestruck. It was a beautiful. It was wonderful. It was uh, marvelous, glorious, the covenant God had given. And then what happened was, though, because of our old nature, we didn't have the grace to walk in it. When I say grace, that is the full provision. Our hearts hadn't been dealt with. Our old nature hadn't been dealt with. We didn't have that separation the law had been written in our hearts so it was against our nature to do the things which are in the law we didn't want to do them and we did them but god saw it, our hearts he saw that we didn't want to do it and that comes by surrender and and death to who we are and all of a sudden the things of god become important to us uh quite frankly most people i know who have truly had the work of the cross in their hearts They'll do anything. 
They'll do anything God tells them. If God would tell them for the rest of your lives, you're going to put cement blocks, tie them to your feet. The freedom and peace that they experience in the death and surrender and, and recognizing that and being filled with the Spirit, they would do it. That's not what God asks of us. He's not putting cement blocks on our feet. He just He's wanting relationship. So now, in the New Covenant, he's doing it. He gives us the grace to walk according to his law. Okay, most people say the New Covenant, there is no law. Let's just keep reading here. Uh, where was I at? For to be spiritual minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Because our natural mind, what we were born with, works opposite of what God wants. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So we, it cannot surrender itself to the law. So then they who are in the flesh cannot please God, plain and simple. We cannot because of who we are. Again, it's referencing our old nature. It's referencing our evil heart. It's referencing all of that. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Again, Spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, we are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if we have been born in the Spirit. Anyway, we'll keep going here. And if Christ is in you, indeed, the body is dead because of sin. Okay. So if Christ is in you, indeed, the body is dead because of sin. So if we've been reborn, sin has been dealt with. Let me just put it that way, because that's what he's saying. If, if Messiah is in you, then the body is dead. But if the spirit, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the reason it's life is righteousness. He has dealt with that body. And now we truly live because it's the spirit that gives life. But if the spirit of the one who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised up Christ from the dead shall also make your mortal bodies alive by his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Okay, so he's again referring, referring to now the spirit gives us life. That is by which we live and breathe, which is exactly true. But I can't explain that to somebody who hasn't experienced it. It's just we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When you have gone through that death process, when you've gone through all the things that God deals with our hearts, and on the other side, that's what you live for. If you've truly been changed, you, you do. And it's, it's his spirit that makes us alive, plain and simple. For if you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So if you live in the power of who you are, you'll die. But if you live through the Spirit and you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, which is Hebrew for dad. Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, so that we suffer with him. We may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. I'm going to just skip forward there a little bit. 
of form. I'm just reading here real quick. So basically, that is, I mean, Paul is saying the same thing, basically. A lot of people misunderstand it because um, it, it, it just is. It's, it's, um, how would I say this? It's, it's a difficult subject, I guess, to address. But I want you to, to think that, um, that there is a, a way. How do I, how do I whittle this down? What is the grace of God? Well, the grace of God, the divine provisioning is that we can lay down our lives, that we can lay down our identities, that we can lay down the carnal things and we can put to death those things uh, by surrender. And we surrender who we are. We surrender at the foot of the cross. We surrender, and I guess we should surrender on the cross, but we surrender by identifying with his death and that sin has been dealt with. And when that final death blow comes, and it's a spiritual experience, it's not a mental decision, God, that's all I can say, out of experience, it is a, it is a surrender. Uh, you'll know it. When that happens in your life, you know, ask the Lord, Lord, lead me there. Lead me to a place of complete surrender. You'll be like a little baby. You, you won't care anymore. It's not about you anymore. Your life is not important. Uh, it doesn't matter. You're just like a little child. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, the sweetness of that is absolutely wonderful. And that is where God starts to deal with who we are. And we need to stay at that place of surrender. That is why Paul then later goes on. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice means a continual sacrifice. This is the place that we need to walk in, is this sacrifice. Because when I run into trouble, when the law is not working for me, okay? When the law does not work for me, is when I am full of myself, then I don't want to. I don't want anything to do with the law because the law condemns. See, death came in sense, spiritual death, not physical death. Death came because of the law. Because if we go to the letter, we're condemned. We, and if God didn't give us the provision to walk in it, the grace to walk in the law, as far as dealing with our old nature and giving us that boost, if I can call it that. Uh, we're continually, continually falling short. And that is, that, that is the thing. Now, see, the law, it's not, in the, it's not in the correctness of the letter. And that's why Paul said the letter kills. Because we can get down and we can try to keep the letter and we can try to be so right and do everything just perfect and miss the whole point. And that is what at one point God said, I am so sick and tired of you your Sabbaths, your feast, your full moons, your sighting, uh, your sighting of the moons, I should say, your sacrifices. He's like, I don't want that. I'm full of it. It means nothing to me. Just acknowledge your iniquity. And what God was saying in a sense is, I see right through all that stuff. You can do all of that outward form 
And yes, that is right and good. That it's my law. But it doesn't do anything for me because I see right through it and I see who you are. I see really who you are. And that is why Jesus came. Because he wanted to change who you really are. And he wants to put that new uh, life in you. And what will happen is all of a sudden, ungrateful people will become grateful. Bitter people will become joyful. Sorrowful, you know, he will turn your mourning into dancing. The, uh, he it will be your balm and Gilead. He, he is the I am. He becomes the fullness and the sweetness of what he was trying to be to Israel. But it only comes once our heart changes. Once we have that change of heart. So that is what law and grace is. Grace is that provision. Grace is that. It's no longer my will. I don't care. I don't care. I will do what God has given for me to do. I will. It doesn't matter. I remember in my life, I felt all of a sudden, and I knew it was something I had to die to. Uh, of my own will, but it was it was just one of those things I dreaded. I, I felt the Lord say, "Okay, I want you to go to China." Now, ultimately, no, the Lord didn't want me to go to China, but He wanted me to be willing to go to China. And part of me had to die to to acknowledge, "Yes, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go." That's what I'm talking about. This is this living sacrifice that we give. What? Hey, yes, Lord, I will die. I. I will make this. This is what is missing in our day and age. This, this is what is missing. People have forgot this work. Unless we die to ourselves, we're going to have these problems. Unless we die, we're going to have issues. Because it's carnally mind. And the carnal mind is death and works opposite of God. So we need to have we need to surrender. We need to lay down my will. My will has to end. That is the new covenant. And when there is personal will and personal motivation and personal thing, you will work in opposite of what God wants. He does not want that. I don't care what preacher you are. I don't care how, what your statistics are in classifications. The natural mind is enmity with God. It does, does not, it is not compatible. It does not matter. It just, that is plain and simple. It's a law of the universe. That is just how it is. Our natural mind is enmity with him. A couple other verses and then I'll end it here. A couple snippets of scripture that Paul was referencing just to cement uh, the message that he was portraying. Because ultimately it's, it is his message. Um. Excuse me, but Israel, who followed after a law of righteousness, did not arrive at a law of righteousness. Why? Because it was not of faith, but as it were by works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. The stumbling stone of our, who we are, and it's 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 the stumbling stone of Jesus. It's a rock of offense because. That, that is just how it is. We have to face this humility. We have to face this personal humiliation, I should say. We have to face this personal death and this laying down of our lives. And that is where faith begins and righteousness starts to work. 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and everyone believing on him shall not 
be put to shame. Now Romans 10 deals with some of these ideas and I can explain it. It's pretty simple. Brothers, truly my heart's desire and prayer for, to God for Israel is for it to be saved. So he's referencing Israel here. He's not referencing Gentiles. I have seen this stuff taken so out of context and uh, personalized and Israel cut out of it and everything. And it, quite frankly, Paul was writing about Israel. He was first and foremost concerned about his people. Absolutely was. And he did preach to the Gentiles, but he knew that the message was for Israel. Verse 2, 10-2. Uh, for I bear record to them that they have a zeal of God. They do. They absolutely have a zeal of God, even to this day, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So there's the key word. See, it's it's not some people want to say, look, okay, it's Israel's they they don't have knowledge, they have zeal, but they're ignorant of God's righteousness. Well, it's not because of their trying to keep the law. It's because because of their evil nature. The law again is not the issue. Paul is not pointing to the law and saying, "Hey, listen, the law is the problem." It's they're ignorant of God's righteousness because they're trying to establish their own it's again, it's a work of ourselves, which is sin. And, and this is what he's referencing. This is what he wants us to see. See, righteousness, that's what the law produced. It was righteous. But we are not righteous individuals outside of Jesus, outside of the work of Jesus. It's not just that believing on Jesus, now we're instantly all good Everything's fine. He has, we have to submit. Yes, we do. And that is not something that's nice. Romans 10, 3 says it. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. See, it takes sacrifice of self. It takes our submitting to bend and to break. That is when God can start to deal with us. For Messiah, Christ, is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. See, it's not in the letter of the law. It's not that the law, whether it's here or there, it doesn't matter. Jesus fulfills that righteousness, that which the law was speaking of. Okay? Jesus fulfills that righteousness. All right. This is exactly what he writes in this next verse, Romans 10, 5. For Moses writes of the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith says this, Do not say in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who shall descend to the deep? That is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. This is what... This is Moses said this, the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we proclaim. See, that is what Moses said. This is what it is. This is the law. Even then he said, this is the law. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And that is the word of faith. That is what the law was. 
I don't know if I can make it clearer than what he did. It's not easy. You have to walk in some of this sometimes to see the picture of what God is wanting to do. Let me see if I can find some more verses here. If you continue in Romans 10, I'm not just I'm not going to read all the verses for time's sake, but if you look at the narrative, so he's referencing what's going to happen to the Gentiles, uh, Romans 10, 12, for there's no difference between both of Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone, whoever shall call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And if we keep going down, faith is of hearing, hearing by the word. But I say unto you, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. The voice went on to all the earth. But then it keeps going again, and it's rounding around because Romans 11, sometimes chapters get in our way because it cuts the story. But Paul is again rounding back to the issue of Israel. All right. Verse 19, but I, but I say, did not Israel know Moses? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy. By those who are no people. And by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became known to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched forth my hands to a disobeying and gainsaying people. Very next verse, okay? It almost looks like God is done with them. Romans 11, 1. I say then, did God put away his people? Let it not be said, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God did not thrust out his people whom he foreknew. See, he is now going to, he now goes into the details of how God, how Israel is going to come around. I'm not going to get into that. I've done that in previous things. So after he reestablishes God's need and use for Israel, in Romans 12, he goes on to then say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, which means separated, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, also can be translated spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order to prove by you what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So we go on from there. He goes on and talks about Jesus things. I wish I could say this over and over and over and over again. Um, I guess there's one reverse I should get to, and then that should bring the conclusion. And I had read this verse, Romans 8, 2, and this is really the key verse for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what is the what is the third word in that sentence? For the law. Okay, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So law and law, we're either in the one or we're in the other, and the division point is Pentecost. That's what that's the whole hinge. And if people would just see that, it's not about, oh, that old law, which didn't do anything. It's not about that. If you are truly, I believe you're truly surrendered to the Lord. If you are truly 
understanding what he is saying and writing to the churches today, you will not speak ill of the law. Jesus did not speak ill of the law. Paul did not speak ill of the law. Because the law was not the problem. Mankind was the problem. And I think it's a trick of the enemy to get our minds onto the inadequacy of law when that was not the issue. Law was never the problem. It was the inadequacy of us. We completely miss the mark. We are just not capable of doing the things of God. And that is ultimately why Jesus had to come. I look at that as being a, an amazing thing. Um, I don't know how else to say it. it. It's one of these things that you know we can look at, and I can go into a lot greater detail if you want me to, as far as uh, in Galatians, there's a lot that's also uh, written about the subject. But in essence, I hope you got something. I hope it wasn't confusing. Uh, I know my mind kind of works in, in, in ways that maybe other people can't quite compute to what I'm trying to get at. So I try to be clear with what I say, but I, I felt it important because I, I just see so much focus on grace, 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 and that somehow grace has circumvented law. When truly grace, the intention of grace was that the provision that we keep law, not letter. See, immediately people, well, what about the feast? What about all of this? Listen, if you want to keep the feast, it's fine. It's not that you have to keep the feast. You get to. If you want to keep, hey, it's a wonderful celebration. You don't have to keep the feast. You get to. And, and quite frankly, I have no problem keeping people wanting to keep feasts and things like that. It does not make you more righteous because righteousness is not in keeping feasts. It doesn't give you brownie points with God. Absolutely not. Because the only thing God sees is his righteousness through Yeshua worked in our hearts. That is ultimately how it works. So keep the law, eat kosher, do all that. No problem. No problem. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. Not one of them became un unkosher. We don't have record of any of that. They were always Jews their whole life. They retained that identity. They did that. It was not a hindrance to them. But Paul recognized, and the others ultimately recognized too in their writings. Even, even Peter admits Paul's writings are not easy to understand. And many Messianics believe Paul is a bad guy because he took people away from the Torah. And Moses said, the word is ninety; It is in your mouth and in your heart. See, oh, if we can just get a hold of it. I, I don't know how to make it clear. It, it, the freedom that this gives us, the freedom and life that it gives us. I can memorize 613 commandments. I can live by 613 commandments. Not a problem. It does not hold me back in my spiritual life. If God would all of a sudden tell me, Matt, I want you to live by that, then so be it. I will do it. If he, if he tells me you need to live that, you need to live it down to the detail, the minutia, then so be it. I still don't see it that it makes me righteous because it isn't, that is not how it works. But it doesn't hinder me. It is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. The blood that is needed to cleanse us. That it, it shows how in 
how'd you say it? It shows how sinful we are. It shows how separated we are. It shows how unworthy we are to come into his presence. It, it shows us uh, that we are so absolutely, uh, we have fallen so short of his glory. But in all of it is, you know, people say, hey, 613, oh, all those commandments, how in the world? Oh, never. Quite frankly, if we look at all the individual commands Jesus gave us in the New Testament, he said, do everything I tell you. He did. He said to keep his commandments. Commandments implies law, the last time I checked. Somebody tells you to do something, it implies authority, and it implies that there is a legality. So a commandment by nature has an essence of law. So he was speaking of in, in law when he referenced commandments. He said uh, that we need to keep his commandments. Where was, where was I going with that? But he, But here's the thing. Okay, so if we take all those words, there's like... I have not looked it up myself, specifically looked at every different thing, but I looked at references on Google, and it looks like it's about 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. 1,050. So we take 613, and we just add a couple hundred more. See, we don't study. We don't read the way we and so we don't think about it. We think that somehow we're going to just get by on our little bit of... of, of uh, hyper grace I guess you could call it where somehow God is just going to overlook us for being ignorant and and unwise and unknowledgeable it's just it's lunacy it really is so I want to encourage you wherever you're at as a person remember this see this is the secret to why churches are failing this is the secret why we have so much pain and hurt why there's so much division in churches and things because the dividing line is carnality. When we walk in the spirit, truly walk in the spirit, and we are surrendered, and righteousness is coming out of us, we're not going to have issues. Why? Because he says, if you walk in the light, you will have fellowship one with another. And it says, this will you know if you are my disciples, if you love the brethren. There can be moments of disagreements, major disagreements. Paul had it too. Later in life, he kind of had to admit, hey, I mean, there was just character differences. They can't can't work together and that's fine but ultimately we must die our nature must die and quite frankly paul probably should have submitted himself to his brother and said you know what i am sorry i was wrong and humbled himself because that is who we are that is the way god wants us to be Bless you, uh, Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine on you. I want you to be encouraged. I hope this brought some some clarity. Uh, I could love continuing. I could talk for another hour on this, but I won't. I hope it means, uh, means something to you. God bless you.